That was fun. That was fun. That was fun. So this is a snare drum, and uh, we're going to do a series about snare No, I wish. That would be fun. Another time. Another time. But on the back of a snare drum, you have these little things here called snares, and this is what makes it sound like a snare drum. This is what makes it have that snare type sound. Now, the interesting thing about these snares is that if used in a slightly different way, longer type of wire, longer type of snare can be used to actually trip people up, can be used to actually catch people. In fact, the Hebrew word for the word snare in the Bible is a bait or a lure or a net. And so you have this idea of a snare or a trap or something that can trip someone up. And what we see in the Bible is that over and over again, we see there's somebody talked about in the Bible that sets types of snares and traps and and little nets for you and I. Little ways to trip us up. Little ways to try and disrupt our relationship with God. Little ways to try to keep us from moving forward in our relationship with God. The Bible tells us that this person's name is Satan. The Bible tells us that this person, Satan, is actually looking like a roaring lion, looking for who it may devour. And so you got this image of, of someone setting a trap that at the, end of the, at the end of the day is ultimately looking to devour and destroy And so there's this kind of sobering picture that we get as we look at the Bible and we realize like, wow, okay, so there's someone actively setting these traps for you and I every day. I don't know about you, I don't go through my day thinking about that, right? I don't go through my day thinking about the fact that Satan is really out to destroy my relationship with God. He's doing whatever he can to set snares and traps for me so that I won't get where God wants me to be. I don't think about that that much. And so here in this series, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the snares that Satan likes to set for you and I. Some of, the, some of the ways that Satan tries to trip us up. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're going, okay, here we go. This is, the, yep, here we are doing the church thing, talking about Satan. There's no such being, no such person. Come on, we really have to talk about this. This is so juvenile. Come on, this is why I don't go to church. Well, here's what, one way we like to say here when we talk about Satan, because there's lots of answers. There's lots of ways I could try to convince you in this personal person named Satan or Lucifer. And, you know, the truth is, I think the easiest way to say it is that all it takes is just a little bit of study and look into human history. When you start to see what people are capable of, I think there's sort of the categories that you and I fall into where we go, okay, yeah, I could see how so-and-so messed up like that. I could see how somebody did that. I could see how somebody went that far. I could see that. That, that kind of registers in my mind. But then, if you start to look into certain people in human history, doesn't there start to become a certain point where you're looking at a story? You're hearing something on the news or the radio. You're reading online. Something that happened, and you're going, that doesn't even register. Like, I don't get that line of thinking. Like, that's a, a spot of evil. That's, that's a length and a degree of eagle, evil, eagles. Apparently, he's going to eagles. Um, <laughs> He soars to places. No, uh, th- that's, a, that's a place that I can't even go in my mind, right? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, I'll just mention a name, Jeffrey Dahmer. Have you ever read about Jeffrey Dahmer? Don't Google it now. I know weeping in church, okay? Um, but this guy was evil. And, and I read a story about Jeffrey Dahmer, and I just began to think to myself, that is a level of evil that I, I can't register. It just doesn't make sense in my mind. There's got to be something behind that. You see, I think we'd all say, yeah, man, people are messed up. But then there's a certain level it gets to. You're like, something's got to be going on. There's got to be something behind a person like that that, that that even takes it past what any of us would ever dream or think of. And so that's just a little bit of a, an idea, a little bit of a thought that maybe if you're struggling with this idea of Satan, 
this idea of the devil, then I would just encourage you to, to think a little bit more along those lines and, and listen in today, you know? And, and I would say this, don't let it be something that keeps you from a relationship with Jesus. See, the story of Christianity is not there's a devil, so watch out. The story of Christianity is there's a savior. Wow, he's amazing. He loves you. He came to die for you and rose again and, and, and took your place on a cross. That's the story of Christianity, okay? So don't trip over this tonight, all right? But as we talk about this idea of Satan and the snare, we have to ask the question, why is it so important to talk about? And I'll tell you why it's so important to talk about. Several months ago, I was having lunch with a guy. I don't know if he's here tonight or not, but Michael Coulter, he comes here. He um, is a medical student out at Stony Brook, and he was their quarterback for three years at the Stony Brook University. And I, I was, when I heard that, I was instantly intrigued because I just think that's awesome. And I was like, yo, like, Tell me about it. Like, tell me about being a quarterback at the college and all this. And what were practices like? What was your prep like? What was the hardest part? I was expecting him to say, oh, man, there are these grueling, you know, runs we had to do, these exercises, these different training things. And he said, he said, you know what the hardest thing was? It was learning the other team's strategies. That was the hardest part about it. Because every week you're playing a new team. And, and so there you are. You're sitting there and your coach is bringing a manual of the other, other team's tra- strategies and tricks. And then you've got to sit there and learn it. So what? So that you are ready. And that's exactly what we need to do here. We need to take a few weeks. We're just going to take three weeks. So we're going to look at some of the snares that Satan loves to lay for you and I. Some of the ways he loves to trip us up and trap us. And we're going to hopefully learn and grow from them. Okay, now this is not a church that sees the devil behind every little thing. You know, I stubbed my toe really hard yesterday, like really hard. I actually bled, okay? That's how hard it was. I know you want to know that, okay? And so I was bleeding, and I did not look at the molding and go, devil! You know, like, like, like we don't find Satan behind every little bad thing that happens. We're not this hyper-crazy Satan, you know, believing church, okay? But we, at the same time, we would just be dumb to walk through our lives going, yeah, we don't have an enemy. Nah, we're good. You know, there's no one opposing me. There's no one who hates my relationship with God. There's nobody trying to take me out. That's just foolish. And so in the balance, I think we're going to hear for a few weeks talk about what this looks like. So tonight I want to talk with you about Satan's deadliest snare. His deadliest snare. And you know what it is? His deadliest snare is pride. It was his first snare he ever laid. And it's the most deadly. And the reason it's the most deadly is because it's the father of all snares. If Satan can get you and I to trip over the snare of pride, he can get us to trip over the snare of anything else. Now, why is that true? Because if this thought goes through your head, you're in trouble. The thought is this. That's never going to be me. I'm never going to trip over that certain thing. I'm never going to struggle with that. I'll never be that guy or that girl. You see, when that pride fills your heart and you think that'll never be me, guess what? It'll probably be you. Because if Satan can get you to, to believe that lie, that you are somehow exempt and above and better than the, tempt, the temptation and the tempter, then really you and I can trip in any area of our lives. And I would even say that, man, when you and I go down roads, let's just talk about some of the roads we go down, you know, lying, Pornography, sexual impurity, hate, unforgiveness. When we start to travel down any of these roads, I think if you just pull it back a little bit, you can begin to trace it all back to a source of the heart that deals with pride. And so Satan lays this initial snare, and he really loves to get us to believe that we're above these snares, and we're above 
falling and we're above temptations and we're above these different struggles in our lives. He loves to come at Christians and, and get us to, to just wake up every day thinking it's never going to be you. You're never going to fall. You're never going to have that issue. And, and then there's this sudden growth of pride in our heart. And here's how this looks in our lives. I think sometimes we begin to just think we're better than other people, right? I'm just better than, oh, they fell. I'm just better. I would never fall like that. Are you kidding me? And in our heart, we see we're just better. Sometimes some of us believe the lie that our relationship with God is at such a mature place that we're exempt from the temptation. But let me just remind you of something. Jesus, God in the flesh, was tempted. Right? So your relationship with God doesn't exempt you from temptation. All right? Another way I think that this plays out in our life, the pride in our heart, is that somebody falls. And there we are with our arms folded, judging them really, really harshly. You see, I I think pride is something that we see really well in other people, but not so well in ourselves, right? In fact, when I started to talk about this idea of pride tonight, you were thinking, I wish Johnny was here, right? I wish Susie from the office was here. She's got so much pride, you know, like, I just so wish she was here. And and this is one of those things, man, where we got to say, all right, I'm going to not worry about Johnny and Susie tonight. Send them the podcast later in the week. Probably not great for your relationship, but that's all right. But instead, to just be able to say, no, no, it's me tonight. It's me. It's uncomfortable. But I would think pride has probably seeped into more of our hearts than we even realize. Why? One of the reasons, because it's Satan's deadliest snare. It's his first go-to snare, and it's the father of all other snares. And so I would guess If you're a follower of Jesus today, Satan's got a few snares out for you. Maybe you didn't fall into them yet. Maybe you didn't, you know, maybe you've recognized that maybe God's given you wisdom. Maybe some of the things we're going to talk about tonight have helped you navigate those snares and those traps. But maybe, maybe tonight what we talk about will will help you in the future stay strong. And so I want to talk about a few people here tonight that never thought they'd fall, were completely unprepared, had no no uh, idea of this temptation even on their radar. And so we're going to look just three chapters into the Bible. Satan's first snare he ever laid. So Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, it'll be up on the screens. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman. Now before I say what he said to the woman, we have to just say, okay, this wasn't a snake talking, okay? This wasn't like a snake on its own. This was, okay, I understand. All this is wacky. This is crazy. Why I don't go to church, okay? But Satan had taken the form of this serpent, okay? And he said, did God really say you must not eat fruit, uh, I'm sorry, any, from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? Did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? You know it's true of people that have a lot of pride, they're constantly challenging and questioning authority, right? I mean, it's good to challenge and, and question authority sometimes if the heart behind it is to make the leader or the place better, okay? But so often, people who struggle with pride, they just challenge and, and question just for the sake of showing how smart they are and how right they are, right? And so here is Satan trying to get Eve to bite here, trying to get her along those lines of thinking. Let's challenge what God said. Let's question what God said. Well, that goes back to a heart of pride, right? Then verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So there's literally just one rule. One rule. Seriously? I mean, wouldn't we all just love one rule? Wouldn't we all? Have you you ever imagined that you were Adam or Eve? 
And you're like, I would have nailed that, right? I, I so would have had that, man. I would have had that. I would have seen Satan coming, right? right? Well, before we feel too good about ourselves, did anybody see this sign on the way in tonight? Please do not touch this piece of paper. Anybody see that on the way in? It was right there. It was on the door. I know some of you guys saw it. I know some of you guys looked at it. And I know six of you touched it. <laughs> six of you touched it, right? So before you start feeling too great, like you would have nailed it, six of the people in this room would have ruined it for the rest of us right? Touched a piece of paper. There was one rule. Don't touch the paper. I have a feeling Andrew touched it. He's fired. Okay. Um, he's a little squirmy back there. I don't know. But, but before we, right, before we get too worked up, we have to recognize this was in all of us, this pride. And, and this is what we have to recognize tonight. We always imagine ourselves in that scenario. We would, everything would have been different. No, man. Same snares of pride laid for you and I. In verse 4, Satan comes back. He says, you will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan comes back. He whispers lies into her, into her ear, but he's really appealing to her pride, right? Saying, look, God's trying to limit you. You're better than this. You know, don't just settle for what God said. No, 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 you're better than this. You deserve more. And I think Satan whispers in our ear in similar ways. You're, you're better than, than this. You're, you're better than to ever fall. Don't worry about it. You're better than them. They fell. You, you're good, though. You're better than, than they are. Or he tries to work, like I said, let's trace anger back. Oh, you're better than this. You don't deserve to be treated like that. Some pornography. Oh, come on. You deserve a little fun in your life. All comes back to that little whisper of pride that Satan lays for you and I. Then verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. He ate it. Why did he eat it? Pride. Pride for a couple different reasons. Number one, maybe he too wanted to have the wisdom of God, like Eve kind of fell for that. But number two, maybe, maybe he just didn't want to look dumb, you know? You know, pride says, oh, okay. You know, beautiful woman says, eat fruit. I will eat fruit, right? I will, I will go for that, right? What Adam should have done right then and right there is said, Eve, put the apple down. We are not eating the fruit. I will, I will watch Chick Flicks you, with you for the rest of eternity. We will go to the notebook. We will go with the fault in our stars. I don't care what, but we are not doing that. That's the one thing we are not doing. So put that down. But he eats it because of his pride one way or the other. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Oh, God knows where, where they are, right? You know, He's like, ah, I lost them again. Gabriel, Michael, get over here. Former search party, right? Humans, where are you? you know? I mean, God knows. God knows exactly where they are. But let's just think about this for a second. Just get into the mind of Adam and Eve, creator God, who they know and have walked with, right? They know his power, his ability, his might. And just another display of arrogance is, oh, God's coming. Let's go hide behind some trees where he won't see us, right? Well, God, creator, unlimited in power, a couple trees aren't going to quite cut it. Verse 10, he answered, I, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? God's gone, it's never been a problem before. You've been naked all along. Like, who told you 
that you were naked, right? I mean, God, this is funny. I like this. And then he says this, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And this is just a great parent question, right? It's a question you know the answer to, right? It's my son Landon the other day. He's got like this blue, we had these blue frosted sugar cookies and he's just got, it's all over his mouth, his teeth. Landon, do you have a cookie? No, no, you know, it's just all over, right? Great parenting question. And God says, have you eaten from this tree? The man said, the woman you put me here with, trouble, man. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Well, this is pride again for several reasons. First of all, he's blaming God. He's blaming God. He's going, God, the woman you gave me, if she wasn't here, man, we'd be gold. Be me and you for eternity. We'd be good, right? But you gave me this woman and look what she's done. And so he really blamed shifts. And and then he's just completely shifting all blame away from himself. She said, whoa, 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 it's the woman. It's pride, pride, pride coming out. I mean, it's just so full of pride. Then verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent, this is powerful, the serpent deceived me and I ate. What'd you say, Eve? Certain dece- serpent deceived me. Oh, he like laid a snare for you then. Laid a little trap for you. You tripped. You didn't see that coming. And this snare of pride you tripped right over and and we gotta just listen i mean just think this snare of pride literally gave birth to all of other sin for all eternity and so here adam and eve stuck fallen we just gotta imagine they are literally in a perfect environment a perfect heavenly father no issue everything they want but just that one thing and satan comes and lays his snare. And so we kind of see this bad example. We, we see these, these people who had really everything they, they could have wanted, and yet they tripped over this snare of pride. And I just wonder, in your heart and in my heart, so what are some of the snares of pride that Satan is laying for us? I, th- I believe the biggest one is, you'll never be that person. You'll never be that person. Now, this doesn't mean you have to become that person. I think you can walk forward in confidence and say, I believe God will keep me the day I die faithful to my wife. I believe God will keep me the day I die faithful to him. I mean, I think you can walk in some confidence, but when my attitude is, that'll never be me. I'm better than that. I'm above those people that fall. You're gonna fall. He's gonna continue to whisper those things in your ear. And so we see this bad example of people full of pride. And so I want you to see another example. And it's not an example so much as it is just a picture of what people the opposite of that look like. Okay, so if we know Satan's there and he's laying, you know, these snares of pride, I don't want to just leave it at that and say, okay, have a good night, guys. Watch out, you know, sleep well tonight, right? I want to say, okay, so what do we do then? What does it look like to not be that man, that woman? What does it look like to act differently? And so we're going to look to James chapter four, just three verses. It says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Just think about those first four words for a second. Those are probably the four, some of the four scariest words in the whole Bible. I mean, I'll just be real for, for me. There are times in my life, certainly, where pride pokes its head, and, and that always comes back at me. Like, okay, if, if I'm about to do this or that, and it's funny for me because I'm a pastor, so like in a ministry context, 
Arrogance might come out in, oh, I think I'm good at this, or I'm good at that, or I feel overconfident at this, or at that. And, I, and, and how ironic for me to say, get on stage and feel real good about something in my own strength. And here I am thinking I'm nailing it, and God is actually opposing me at that point. He's opposing what I'm doing when I ever step on a stage or lead a meeting or, or write a message or counsel a person with an arrogant heart. And so here's God opposing the proud, but, but man, he wants to give this grace to the humble. And we always try to represent grace accurately here because there's two sides to grace. Remember, we've talked about this, not for a while, but the, the two sides of the coin of grace The one side of grace is the forgiveness that God gives. So if you walk in here tonight with an arrogant heart, a proud heart, God is ready to forgive you as you look to him. But the other side of this coin of grace is the enabling power of God. It's it's when he says, okay, I'm gonna give you grace. I know you need it. I know you're struggling. Doug, I know sometimes arrogance can creep up in your heart. So yeah, man, I forgive you. That's the one side. But how about flip that coin over and how about I empower you now to walk forward? humbly before me? How about I give you the grace to not always trip over this snare of pride? So God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, so what does this humble person look like? Well, look at this. They submit themselves to God. They submit themselves to God. See, when you submit, you surrender. When you submit, you're, you're saying, okay, God, as, as a, the, the opposite idea of coming against you, the opposite idea of doing this on my own, the opposite idea of thinking I'm, I've got this. I'm gonna instead surrender and submit to you. And so I'm not trying to give you a list of things to do. I'm just trying to give you a picture of what a person who's humble looks like. Then it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's incredible news. If Satan is walking around like a, a roaring lion seeking who he may devour and James tells us that we don't have to trip, we don't have to fall, we don't have to get caught in his snare, but that instead we can resist him and he'll actually flee. That's incredible hope for you and I. If you walked in here and I start talking about pride or I start talking about any of these ways that pride play itself out, be it through anger or pornography or sexual impurity or anger or unforgiveness or any of these things, man, what a tremendous hope to know. I don't have to continue to live that way. But God, as I, as I submit myself to him, as I humble myself, the word picture we get here, if you really investigate this language, is literally as I lay myself down on the ground. This doesn't mean you have to literally lay on the ground every time you, you talk to God, but it, it's a heart that's like laid down before him. Then man, there can be victory in your life and my life. And then I love verse eight. What a great promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's the promise of God. See, as long as we're arrogant and we're proud and we think we got this and we think we'll never be that person and man, look at those people, how horrible they are and we just point fingers instead of love and try to restore and try to point them back to Jesus. As long as we are opposing God, he will oppose us. As long as we are stiff-arming God saying we got this, he will be stiff-arming us. But as soon as we submit to him and we come near to him, he comes near us. And so if you're finding that in your life there's some areas of pride that God is beginning to just bring to light tonight, don't run from that. That's more pride. Don't hide from that. No, su- submit to that. Surrender to that. Lay before God those areas. Lay 
those areas down on the ground before him. Lay your heart surrendered down on the ground before him. Come close to him, and he'll come close to you. And then the great thing is you're thinking, oh, great, so my heart's just like laying on the ground. The great thing is that God then says, then he'll lift you up. He'll lift you up. He'll pick you up. He'll use you. When you and I surrender, then he picks us up and uses us in powerful and amazing ways. So you got this horrible example of Adam and Eve, arrogant, full of pride, questioning, challenging God, thinking they could hide from God, ashamed of their sin, running. That's the picture of pride. Are you any of that tonight? Or tonight, we say, no, I'm going to submit my heart. I'm going to surrender my heart. I'm going to lay it down on the ground. I'm going to come near to God. He's going to come near to me, and I'm going to resist the devil, and he'll flee from me. See, because here's what I want you to know tonight. Godly humility will protect us from Satan's snare of pride. That godly humility will protect you. Satan, I can just guarantee you, I'm just promising you tonight, not because I want to scare you, but because I love you and I want you to walk free of it. Satan is absolutely laying the snare of pride in your life. There's no doubt. It's his go-to move. But this godly humility will protect you and I from that. And so what does that godly humility look like? Let me just give you a couple little ideas as we just look at these verses here. When you humble yourself, it means you're somebody who's not judging others. Not judging others. Not looking at somebody who recently fell. Not looking at the, the headlines like, oh, great, this guy fell and that pastor. And, oh, man, I knew he'd fall. Yeah, I saw that. Like, no, nah, that's not humble. That's not humility. It's looking at others and instead saying, oh, with a broken heart, I can't believe they fell. I'm going to be praying for them. I'm going to be believing that God will do in them what I would want them to do in me if I ever fell. That's a humbled heart. I think the other thing you have to do as you humble yourself is realize that you're never above falling. None of us are ever above falling. Somebody once said, let all your heroes be dead ones. What does that mean? It means anybody who's still on this side of heaven could still fall. And so let your heroes be those that have already made it. Let, the, let your heroes be the ones that, that wow, they're, they're with Jesus now. Awesome. He kept them faithful to the end. Doesn't mean they were perfect. They fell and they struggled at times. But man, God brought them back and brought them back. And, and man, let us always say, okay, I know I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. I'm just dust that God's breathed into. And in and of myself, I can destroy my life in a heartbeat. Don't, don't live in fear of it, but live in the, the reality of that. And in so doing, submit yourself to God. God, I know I could wreck this at any time. I was standing out in the lobby several months ago, and a couple of friends that hadn't been around for a long time came into the service, and they were like, man, this is so awesome what you're doing here, man. God's doing such great things and this and that. And I honestly, and I, this was not false humility on my part. I wasn't trying to get them to go, oh, no, Doug, you're great. I literally just looked back at them and said, I tell you, I'm so thankful to God because I know if we're up to me, I would wreck this place in a heartbeat. Just knowing and submitting to God that he, he is the one who will be faithful to keep. As we submit ourselves to God, you know what has to happen? Things that God cares about have to become things we care about. What does God care about? Well, he cares about things like purity. He cares about things like accountability. He cares about things like boundaries in our lives. And so if I'm going to submit to God, I'm going to start to care about the things he cares about. And so if you're here tonight going, all right, Doug, I've seen pride 
take me to pornography or I've seen pride take me toward extreme anger and unforgiveness. And all right, well, it's time to start caring about the things God cares about as you submit to him. That's what it looks like to submit to someone is to say, okay, your way, not mine. And so would you just kind of allow God to deal with this pride in your heart and in my heart tonight as you say, all right, God, your way. That means purity. God, I'm gonna submit myself to you. I'm gonna ask you for grace. Lead me to purity. God, if that's, if that's forgiveness, God, then do this great work in my heart. And then like we said, resisting the devil in the moment, knowing Satan doesn't own you. Do you know that? If you're a follower of Jesus, Satan doesn't own you. God owns you. It's not this, I think the pastor said this recently, it's not this epic battle between God and Satan and we're all sweating it out. Like, oh, who's gonna win, you know? Like God created Satan. He's a created being. He's stronger than me but he's not stronger than God. He's not stronger than God in me. And so as you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Sometimes you feel his breath on your neck. Sometimes you struggle and you fall and that's when you need the grace and the forgiveness and then the enabling. And then lastly, come close to God and he'll come close to you. Draw near to him. Again, I'm not trying to give you all these billion things to remember. I'm just trying to paint a picture. What does it look like to be humble? What does it look like to be somebody who will have God's grace instead of God's opposition? It looks like this. It looks like somebody who draws near to God and then feels God draw near to them. And so I don't know what your struggle might be. I don't know if this is like a present thing or maybe this is something that's preparing you for the future or maybe you're already living this and you're starting to see, wow, that's why so-and-so fell and, and man, God graciously kept me or, or that's how I can know in the future to not walk down that road or whatever it might be for you. But man, I, I could tell you this. Satan's snare of pride always leads to more pain than you are willing to go through. Always. And so don't take this lightly. Don't be scared, but be sober. In fact, that's what scripture calls us to do. Exactly with Satan. Be sober, be ready, be alert, be prepared. But know that this great God and this humility he wants to work in you will protect you from Satan's snare of pride. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you've been hanging through there, man. You made it 30 minutes. I'll be quiet soon. But here's what I want you to know. Whether you were tripping over that Satan stuff and the snake stuff or whatever, let me give you a 30 second message just for you. Jesus loves you. He loves you how you are today, like right now. He wants you. Our message once in a while is about Satan and his plans, but our message always is Jesus. And he wants nothing more than for you to be his. As you draw near to him, he'll, he'll draw near to you. And so tonight as I close, it's kind of like I have a lot to say to the Christians and a, a little to say to you if you're not a follower of Jesus, but I hope tonight you'll both respond to what God is wanting to say and do in your life. And so if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, would you just know that godly humility will protect us from Satan's snare of pride. And if you're not a Christian, would you know that there is a God who passionately loves you and wants you to be his to the point that he gave his own son in your place to rescue you and do what you could never do. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much, Lord, for this sobering message, God. It's new information for some. It's a reminder for others of us. But God, we just thank you so much that your heart, God, is for us not to be constantly tripping and constantly falling and constantly 
just messing up and sinning and, and getting into cycles of feeling far from you, God, your heart is that we would walk close with Jesus. And so, God, we focus on our opponent for a little while tonight. We focus on his strategy. We focus on his go-to move of pride. And we ask, God, that you would help us be people who don't trip over that. God, we repent. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you maybe repent with me? God, we repent of any attitude in us that says we're above falling. We repent of any attitude that says we're better than others that have fallen. We repent of any attitude that would judge harshly those who have fallen. God, we repent of any of the streams that pride leads to, sexual impurity or addiction or anger or unforgiveness or any other thousand struggles there may be. And we just ask, God, that you would help us to be that picture of humility, that we would submit ourselves to you, that we would resist the devil, that we would come near to you that we would be receivers of that great grace that you give both to forgive when we mess up and to enable when we need to stand. So God, help us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you want to respond to this love that Jesus has for you, this love that God has for you, then I want to encourage you tonight to put your faith in Jesus. You can pray something quietly like this. Jesus, would you be my savior? I respond tonight to your amazing love for me. Forgive me for my sin. Help me to see how real you are. And help me, God, to know what it is to draw close to you and experiencing you drawing close to me. In your name I pray, amen.